You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me. As we begin another week reading through the Bible, this week we are reading the book of Esther. Esther is such a beautiful book in showing us the sovereignty of God in the salvation of an entire nation. Now, I want to remind you that as we are engaging in an amateur church, this is a call for anyone who is tired of church being a programmed organization. I want to be an amateur, at least in the sense that how I lead, preach, and serve is based on love. And I desire that my love for Jesus Christ and love for others, including you, would be my motivation. This is not a push to become lazy or unskilled in our abilities, but rather, I believe that when we as churches get back to being amateurs, we will actually see a greater excellence in our lifestyles. So thank you for joining me in rejecting a professional Christianity and rather rediscovering a passion for Christ and his church. As I said, we're looking at the book of Esther this week, and I want to give you just an overview of some theological truths that we can see from the book of Esther. We look at the context, the culture, and ultimately how this points to Christ. So the context of the book says in Esther chapter 1, verse 1, Now it took place in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which was in the citadel in Susa. And so we realize that uh, the setting is a place called Susa, and that was actually the capital of Persia under King Ahasuerus, or from uh, history, we know him as King Xerxes, and he ruled from 486 to 465 BC. And so this is during the time of, uh, of uh, after the captivity of Israel by Babylon and then uh, the Medo-Persians. And so as Ahasuerus is reigning, we have some of the Jews still in this Persian empire. And what you find out, especially in the reading today, Esther chapter 1 and 2, is that Xerxes is this very uh, prideful, arrogant king. And he throws a banquet to show off all of his glory, all of his riches, all of his uh, his palaces and the sites and all of this. Uh, he invites people to come for uh, for an extended uh, stay for parties. And during this time, he wants to show off his, his own wife, uh, Queen Vashti. And he asked her to come out based on the reading. You can realize that uh, he asked her to come out wearing her crown and nothing more. And in the midst of a drunken orgy atmosphere, she refuses the king. So he puts her away and uh, and the rest of the book shows how he does this beauty pageant, honestly, uh, and a, a one-night-with-the-king invitation to find a woman that would please him. And Esther, a Jewish girl who no one knows at the beginning is Jewish, uh, comes to reign as queen. And God is going to sovereignly put her on the throne so that she might be a, a tool of salvation, a guide, a, a method of salvation for her people and the the uh, the Jews. And so the book of Esther is of personal importance in the life of Esther and her uncle Mordecai, but also of national importance because we're also introduced to uh, this guy named Haman who hates the Jews. Uh, Haman is uh, the son of Hamadatha, uh, the Agagite. Uh, we find out that there's bad blood, in a sense, between Haman's family uh, and ancestors and the Jews. 
and uh, Haman tries to kill Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow down to Haman, and Haman realizes he's a Jew, and so he goes after the Jews, and he uh, makes the king give a proclamation that all the Jews will be rounded up and ultimately killed, uh, and the Jews could not defend themselves. Well, Esther, through prayer and through wisdom, reveals the plot of Haman, and the king ultimately makes a decree that every Jew can defend themselves. And you find at the end of the book of Esther, a holiday, a horror turned into a holiday in which uh, the Jews are able to uh, defend themselves. Many of the uh, armies against them are killed, and many people actually become God-fears or Jewish through this account, and we have the setting up of a feast of Purim that Jews celebrate even to this day. So that's kind of an overview of the book. One interesting thing is uh, when you talk about the hero of the book, many people point to Esther. In fact, the, the book is named after her, but Esther is not the hero of the book. Some people point to Mordecai, her uncle, who guides her and uh, and leads her in, in the plan. And, but Mordecai is not the hero. Who is the hero of the book? Well, God is the hero of the book. And the interesting thing is that the uh, God is never mentioned in the book, at least in ways that we would understand that. In uh, in, in uh, English, we don't see God, Yahweh, Elohim mentioned at all, and yet we see his sovereign hand behind the scenes working everything out. And, and, and uh, Mordecai and Esther realize that in their prayers to God. But for the purpose of our theological truths, let me give you kind of a, a way to examine the uh, the the uh, or compare the ruling authorities in the book of Esther, and then leave you with two uh, two very important applications. First, I want you to see a rejected king who tried to show off and ended up hurting others. Now, notice this: the rejected king in Esther chapter one puts away his wife after she does not bow to him. He's trying to show off and ultimately hurt her by demeaning her value, her worth, taking away from her her robe and her clothes of dignity and trying to parade her around for his own gain. Ultimately, this uh, when he comes to his senses and looks for another wife. Um, he's a little more temperate in that. He listens to his wife, Esther. Uh, but even in uh, in foolishness, he makes an, a, uh, a poor decision through the listening to, to Haman, and, and pride gets in there. And so we see a rejected king trying to show off that ultimately hurts others around him. I want you to compare this with our righteous king, Jesus Christ, who... Though he owned everything, again, Ahasuerus, Xerxes owned very limited compared to what God owns, but he owned a lot in the world's eyes and tried to show that off. God owns everything. Our righteous king, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so he owns everything and he sacrificed everything for the sake of, uh, of, of you and I that you and I would have the the love of Jesus Christ, the grace and the mercy that he has given us. He allowed us the opportunity to become sons and daughters of the Most High. One of the most important things we must understand is that Christ needed nothing from us, but wanted us. So Christ gave up his authority in heaven, his, not his identity as God, but his, his authority, his uh, ability 
uh, and and certain uh, aspects of his life, he sacrificed everything so that he might come to this cruel, wretched, sinful world to die for us. Now, compare those two guys, Ahasuerus, Xerxes, who was ruling over the entire world. In fact, we saw um, from Ethiopia to India, and he's showing off in pride. Christ, our king, who not only ruled over the entire world, but over the galaxies, cosmos, he is over everything, and he sacrificed it came to this earth, Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself to the point of even death on a cross. And yet, while the rejected king tried to show off and hurt others and was ridiculed, the righteous king who owned everything, sacrificed everything, and saved us, brought us in, and will ultimately be glorified in everything. This is what we see in the book of Esther. We see the glory of God in the salvation of his people. As I said, personal story, yes, for Esther and Mordecai, but a national story of salvation for the Jews to the point that even Jews today look back and celebrate this story every single year in their Feast of Purim. So I want you to kind of see those theological truths and for us, that, that that still happens today, that there are many who live rejected lives because they are trying to show off and hurt others. And ultimately, they will be rejected because they reject God. But we see our righteous king, who though he has authority over everything, gave up the, the, and sacrificed so that we might be saved. That is true love. So, let me close out with two application points for you based on the story. Number one, the authority in us is greater than the attack around us. Now, this is a very beautiful story of Esther and Mordecai uh, taking their uh, platform and leveraging it for the salvation of the people. But I want you to understand that the decree given by the king is that every Jew could die. And they came to a point to the very day waiting around to see, are people going to come against us? And, and people did. And the attack around them was great. But this is where the sovereign hand of God is seen in the background. The authority in them and on them was greater than the attack around them. And we understand this. First John tells us that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And the authority in us, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he is greater than the attack around us. And I want you to be reminded of that. I hope you grab hold of that truth today. Second, the testimony that we gain is greater than the trials that we go through. I want to remind you every day also that everything you have to endure for the sake of righteousness. I don't mean uh, that you endure consequences because of actions you've, you've already taken. I mean, when you are walking with Christ and the righteousness that you're experiencing, when you experience trials and tribulations, the, the testimony you gain is greater than those trials. Do not think that God has forsaken you or turned against you. In fact, Romans tells us that the present sufferings of this world are not to be compared to the glory that awaits us in heaven. And that's what I hold on to. When there are moments of doubt, discouragement, even depression, as we talked about in yesterday's service, 
that you would be reminded that our God has a plan. And we, can, we will gain a greater testimony, a testimony of his faithfulness, if we will continue and remain faithful to him. I'm, I'm praying that you would endure, keep your head up looking to Christ, but also humble knowing that you are dependent upon him. The book of Esther is a beautiful book, a book, yes, of, uh, of a rejected king, yes, of an enemy named Haman, yes, of spiritual warfare, but it is a book of God's sovereignty and salvation for his people. It's a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know our righteous king who lived a sinless life, died a cruel, horrible death, was buried, but rose again victoriously. He's coming again for us. As we close out today, I want to give you a prayer point, and it's the same prayer that uh, I believe Esther and Mordecai agreed upon. God, for such a time as this, that Mordecai gave that instruction to Esther and said, you have been placed and given the role that you have so that your people might be saved. And maybe today our prayer could be, God, for what time have you created me? For what time have you sustained me? For what time have you saved me? And for what time have you called me to serve you? You may be where you're at, in your family, in your job, at school, doing whatever you're doing, because God has you divinely appointed for that time. The Jews needed Esther and Mordecai to remain faithful to God for their own salvation. Who depends on you and your testimony and your walk with Christ? My prayer is that you and I would not run away from those divine moments, but that we would stand firm and say, I'm willing to serve. It may cost us our reputation. It may cost us our job. It may cost us our family, our friends. It may even cost us our life. But may we say, I'm willing to serve Christ. I'm willing to love him and obey him rather than men. Hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.